a joy to be with you this morning. I've been looking forward to this. I've had much welcome and uh, help in getting moved to Stanton, and I want to thank particularly the deacons and all that they've done to help me. I was surprised when this opportunity first showed up to come and serve you all. It was something that I really wasn't looking for at the time, but God in his infinite wisdom uh, knew that uh, this would be a good fit for me, and hopefully you'll appreciate that as the days and weeks and months unfold. But anyway, it was a real joy in my heart when it came out, that came up, and, uh, and so I'm very thankful to be here. It's, I don't normally have this great excitement that I have for being with you all that I have in past places where I've gone, which uh, is a little unusual for me. So anyway, thank you for having me here, and thank you for the leadership that's here, and also thank you for everyone that uh, is supporting in a variety of ways. I would like to uh, let you know that I have an open door policy. Uh, if you want to meet with me, just contact me and we'll set up a time to get together. I'm going to try and uh, visit the small groups as I can. And so I really look forward to getting to know a lot of you. So with that in mind, uh, I want to uh, look at Philippians. The reason I've chosen Philippians and with the session's approval uh, this has taken place is because it's a letter to the Philippians by the Apostle Paul about joy. And I think joy is something that uh, we all can use some more of. And this, why is it that we don't always have joy all the time? And so Paul has written this, this letter, and it's just packed full from beginning to end about joy. So Paul is sharing this uh, with us. And so I hope that as we look at joy and get into it more and more as we work through this series, that you will feel blessed and also learn how to achieve joy for your own life. So in order to understand this letter, we need to know more of the background to it. So I want to give you a brief introduction. Uh, Paul wrote this around 61 AD, which is about 10 years after he had planted the church, which is the first church that was planted in Europe, by the way. And it uh, has a lot of history in Acts 16. Most of you probably are familiar with the Philippian jailer story and uh, all that took place there. Philippians is a relatively short letter, uh, and Paul doesn't have as many run-on sentences uh, in Philippians like he does in places like Ephesians. So uh, there's 104 verses, and, and even though it's short, it contains most of the major doctrines that are in the Bible. So it's kind of short and sweet in many ways. And there are many statements about Christian love, Christian hope, aspiration, joy, and confidence. And Paul states that he had personally found, he had personally found the true source of joy. So that's what we're looking for as we work through the Philippians. We want to find out, how did Paul find that? Because many of you this morning are probably facing different trials. You know, it might be financial, it might be medical, it might be relational, but most of us are facing some trials or struggles of a variety of ways all the time. So how do we get that contentment and that joy into our life 
in order to overcome these things that take us down and feel, make us feel bad. We lose our joy. Well, the most important thing, though, is Paul's writing all this. We need to know that Paul's writing from a Roman jail. So when he's talking about joy, he's talking about someone who's suffering. He's going through suffering. He doesn't know if he's going to die the next day. They have that kind of power over him if they want to exercise it. And so this is very real. This is something that Paul is practicing. This is something that Paul is living out. He's not just giving theoretical knowledge. Oh, I think you ought to try this, or I think you ought to try that. No, he's saying, this is, this is how I've learned to uh, gain joy in my circumstances. And so we're going to find out how that was possible through Paul. So now, if you would, uh, stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Please be seated. So I've entitled the sermon, The Joy of Being in Christ. The Joy of Being in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us this morning. We pray that you would open our hearts. May your spirit work powerfully, Lord, within us to grasp and understand, but also to apply uh, this word to our lives that we might more and more grow in likeness to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, as I just finished reading those two verses, I don't see joy in there anywhere. <laughs> and that's true. It's not, the word joy is not being used. But I promise, uh, you know, stick with me, and we will begin to connect joy with this passage. So in verse 1, Paul identified himself and Timothy as servants, as servants of Christ Jesus. Now, the Greek word for servants is literally translated slave. So, kind of an interesting way to introduce themselves. This is the mighty Apostle Paul, right? I mean, why didn't he just say, hey, this is the mighty Apostle Paul, and I'd like to give you a few words to get you straightened out there in Philippi, right? <laughs> but no, he's bringing their attention to Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. It's not really about me, it's about Jesus. So it's a very humble way to introduce himself. And so as you, as you see that, then really what he's saying is Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my master, whatever Jesus wants me to do, that's what I'm going to choose to do. Problem is, is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your master? Does Jesus always get his way? You know, so often we're building our own kingdoms and we're really not making Jesus the Lord of our lives. We really truly are the Lord of our lives because we pick and choose. And we're growing in that. We all struggle with that. I do it too. You're not the only ones. And so as uh, Paul uh, is thinking about this, as he's addressing them in this greeting to this letter, uh, he was delighted 
to be able to say that he was Jesus' slave. Or, and sometimes you hear people say they're love slaves, which that's, that's a good title too. But Paul had a dramatic experience on the Damascus Road, as most of you know. I mean, he was living totally as a slave to sin up until that time when Jesus broke through. He wouldn't have changed unless Jesus broke through and introduced himself. Yo, Paul, what are you up to there, buddy? You're going to persecute those churches up here in Damascus. I don't want you to do that. You're persecuting me when you do that. Whoa. Caught red-handed. He was sinning. There's no question about it. And so we see Paul calling himself the chief of sinners later on in different places. And that's why. There was no doubt in Paul's mind that Jesus' grace and mercy was extended to him. No doubt ever. There was no question that he was saved by grace. And so at that place, during that time when Jesus introduced himself to Paul, Paul knew he had done nothing to earn what Jesus gave him that day. He was saved by grace. And so he received the forgiveness that Jesus offered. Because Jesus had taken Paul's place on the cross and he had received the sins that Paul had committed even the persecution of his church. And then he suffered in Paul's place. And so he died in Paul's place. And so Paul was full of joy. It was almost beyond Paul's understanding that someone would do that for him. It filled him with joy beyond understanding. He was forgiven of these horrible things that now he was convinced that he'd done. Jesus is real. Before he thought that Jesus was just some person that was trying to usurp the Jewish, the Jewish church. What an amazing experience he had. And not only that, Paul was joyful for a number of reasons. Paul was a new creation in Christ. He was born again. We see Ezekiel 36 that we read earlier coming to life here. He had received the gift of faith. He had received the gift of Jesus' righteousness. He had received the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of eternal life. He had received the gift of a heavenly inheritance. The good news, all Christians receive these things. You have received these things. And that's part of why we're here this morning, to come and worship God. In other words, as we worship, we're thanking him for the amazing and glorious things that he has given us. And for the fact that we forget so quickly, we need to remember these things. That's why it's every seven days. And these things need to get deep down in our hearts. We need to accept them and say, thank you, Lord. Just think about the fact that you have received all these things I just listed. And that's just a partial list. We could have spent the next hour and a half on a two-hour sermon <laughs> if we chose. So I want, I want you to thank Jesus along with me for the next minute or so. And I will guide us through this. 
it's time that we silently right now say thank you, Jesus, for these particular things that we've got listed here this morning. Because these are amazing, incredible things that you've been given. So Jesus wants you to have this personal relationship with him and the forgiveness of your sins, but he wants you to acknowledge these great gifts. Not because he needs it, because you need it. Have you really understood deep down that you are a new creation in Christ? What does that mean when you're walking Monday through Sunday next week as you're walking through each day? I am a new creature. I'm a new creation in Christ. How does that affect everybody you see and everything you see? Because that's real. That has happened to you if you're a saint. Okay, so now I want you just to get quiet, close your eyes for a second, and I'm going to read down through these, and I want you to thank God in your heart for each one. Father, we thank you that we are new creations in Christ. Would you help us to dwell upon that and to thank you for that and to receive it deep down in our hearts? Father, thank you for the gift of faith that we need to know you and to live our lives, lives of faith, faith in Christ. Thank you for this gift. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus' righteousness. We don't have a righteousness of our own, and so we thank you for this righteousness which allows us to come before the throne of grace to ask for help in time of need. What a price was paid, Jesus' life and his resurrection. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus poured out into the church after he arrived in heaven at your right hand, and you gave him control of the Holy Spirit, and he poured it out into the church, into us, that we have the Holy Spirit living in us every day, all the time. May that become real to our hearts and how we think about ourselves and the grace and the glory that's available to us. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. Oh, Lord, thank you for that. And we also thank you for the gift of a heavenly inheritance. What a glorious thing it is to know that we have this inheritance coming our way when Christ returns. So we thank you and praise you now for all of these things. May they become real in our hearts. May we show them and speak of them to other people, this great and amazing things that have taken place in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you're here this morning and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that you can have these things too. Jesus wants you to have them. He delights in giving them to you. And so if you want to know more about what it takes to become a Christian, I want to invite you to talk to me or one of the other elders here after the service. And we want to explain to you what it means to become a Christian. The offer is for all who are here who don't know Christ. Now, we also see that Paul addressed the Philippians as saints. So they're not only slaves, but they're saints. 
which means to be set apart by God or to be consecrated or holy by God. By the great grace of God, every Christian is a saint. You've been set apart. You've been set apart from the world and you've become part of God's kingdom. You can't see it other than people walking around. <laughs> There's a kingdom that's growing. And so that means that we become part of God's family, part of God's church, for increasing and growing in Christ-likeness on a regular basis as the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is working in us through the situations, through the circumstances in which we live. And also for the holy use of building his church, for increasing it and growing it. We're to live in a way that pleases God and not ourselves. There's a lot of death to self that goes on in Christian living. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, O Lord, the night before he was crucified. He even went to the cross to totally obey what God had called him to do. Let's look at the last two of these things that I mentioned just briefly. By grace, Jesus continues to produce increasing holiness and Christ-likeness in you and in me. And it will never stop, even though I'm an older guy, it's still, still happening. <laughs> She's like Abe prayed earlier. <laughs> it's still happening. It should be happening. And so it's going to continue until Christ returns. Then he's going to finish the job of making us like him. Isn't that wonderful? You'll have no sin nature ever again when it's finished. So the gospel goes all the way from before creation all the way through Christ coming back and new heavens and new earth. It's not just about witnessing. It's just not about bringing people, you know, to a saving knowledge of Christ. It goes all the way. Jesus doesn't finish until it's finished. And we're with him. And by grace, Jesus has also set us apart for his holy use. Jesus is now at God's right hand. And he wants his church to continue building his kingdom. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So that's the church's job now. That's our responsibility in a variety of different ways. Everybody hasn't got the identical gifts, so different ones are going to do that in different ways. But we need to be aware that that's very important to Christ, that we are to be building his kingdom, building his church. And so Paul as he's speaking to the Philippians, is full of joy because he sees the church that's there because of what he'd done 10 years earlier. He's delighted to see the kingdom is growing for those that were people now that he hadn't met because the people at Philippi, the Philippians, were increasing the size of the church. Now, before we go any further, let's look more deeply at what it means that saints are new creations in Christ. It can be kind of a term, what does that really mean, right? So Paul addressed this in 2 Corinthians 5.17 where he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You've been born again. And this is what we saw in John 3, 1 through 8. You're never going to be the same again. You're not a improvement of the old person. 
You're a new creation. Brand new. Something that never existed before. I mean, that's, that's amazing. You're looking at somebody who is different after he became a Christian than he was before. I'm a new creation. You're new creations. I'm speaking to new creations. I'm speaking to saints. And so this means that all Christians have been spiritually born again. And you've been given a variety of gifts. But this new birth has taken place. It's happened to you. So how do you think about that during the week? Or do you just forget it? Everything just go back to being normal. Well, I'm just kind of going out doing my job, whatever it happens to be. I'm just kind of getting through the week. Where's Jesus in that? You see, the people you're meeting are meeting a new creation in Christ. Do they see that? Do they see the love of Christ that's in you coming out into their lives? You're forever changed. This is glorious and it's wonderful. It's incredible. But there's even more. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul's addressing the church or the body of Christ, which is the same thing, right? I can say body of Christ or church. They're synonymous. So the Holy Spirit has also given everybody who's in the body of Christ particular gifts that are to be used. And we see this all through 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 410, just all places around there, but we've all been given different gifts. We're all different. At the same time, we have a common purpose. And so the gifts are meant to be strengthening up building the body so that we can go about the ministry and the mission that Jesus has given us. So we need each other's gifts. Do you see yourself as needy? Do you see yourself needing other people's gifts in this church? You know, that's the way it's supposed to work. You know, being American, so often we're individually, you know, wired. <laughs> I don't want to ask for help. I'm going to handle it myself. That's not the way God has designed his church. We're supposed to be talking to one another, letting each other know who we are, the struggles we have, things that we are thinking about, and we can share and talk and sharpen one another like iron sharpens iron. Okay, next, we see that Paul not only identified the Philippians as saints, but also as saints in Jesus. Saints in Christ Jesus. They're in union with Christ. Now, there's some mystery in that. You know, our mortal minds don't really understand all the ins and outs of how that actually works, but that's what it is. Paul talks about it over and over and over. And they were blessed with every spiritual blessing. That means you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. There's not one that's been left out. And we see that in Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, where? In Christ. In Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, 
before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. That means what you're going to inherit, you really have, in principle, already inherited it. It just hasn't come to pass yet. It's a sure thing you're going to receive this. There's no doubt about that. But we're going to share in everything that Jesus inherits. What's true of Jesus is true of us. We're going to share in that. I hope that excites your heart this morning. You know, we don't have the long list, you know, of all those things that Jesus has inherited, but we get the idea that, you know, no more sin. Nobody speaking angry thoughts to me. Nobody not loving me. Feel left out. I'm a victim of this or that. No more ill health. All the glories of heaven we share because Jesus has them and we're in union with Christ. And then Jesus does something else that's remarkable. We think about our joy, but in John 15, Jesus says, I want to give you my joy. So it's, wow. Well, you can't have full joy, complete joy, unless you have your joy, but also Jesus' joy. And this is what John 15, 8 to 11 says, by this my Father glorified that you might much bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now listen to this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you see that Jesus wants you to have a fullness of joy more than you want it yourself? Is there anybody here that doesn't want a fullness of joy? Unfortunately, very often we are seeking joy in all the wrong places. We think that if we get certain things or have certain relationships, that that will fill my joy. But Jesus says, no, there's so much more to this. So he wants us to be about building his kingdom. And when we're obeying him, like we just read in John 15, 8 through 11, then he adds his joy in a remarkable way, something that some people never taste, even though they're Christians, because they've never gone about building God's kingdom. They're just trying to use Jesus. Jesus, you do this, you do that for me, and somehow it's a great deal. But they've never tasted the full joy. This is not a little bit of joy. This is a fullness of joy that we're talking about. So how do we bear the fruit that Jesus is talking about? Well, it's very simple. I mean, sometimes we make it very complicated. But... As we bear fruit, this is some of the ways in which we can do it. This is not the totality of it, but we're to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. We just do that every day. Everybody we come across, we show the love of Christ to them, whether it be at work, at home, at the church. This is simple. 
You know, as we begin to love each other on the relationships we have and each day that we're, we're having, then we are looking for ways to meet our neighbors and find a way to bless them. Maybe having somebody you just met over for dinner. You know, it's, it's a simplistic way of living our lives every day, showing the love of Christ to everybody. And then these different things happen. Jesus shows up in their hearts, and they want to know how to become a Christian because we're different. We're loving people. We're not like the world. And then there's ways to help the poor and the needy. So, you know, as we look at our calendars, we can't do it all. But if you're married here this morning, you can have family confab. <laughs> and you can say, okay, what parts of our calendar might be devoted to doing something that, uh, that we feel like would be a good use of our gifts? And we can begin to pray for those and ask God to open some doors so we can do that. I want to give you an example. Uh, when I was in Fort, pastoring down in Fort Worth, Texas, next door to the church building, there was an apartment complex of about 1,000 apartments, and mostly lower-income uh, people who lived there. And so we were thinking about how could we reach them for the gospel. And so some of the ladies in the church put together this summer like vacation Bible school thing we called Kid, Kids Blast with a Z in the middle, kids blast, you know. So, uh, I watched it happen. I was amazed and, you know, impressed, but uh, <laughs> I give all the credit to them. And so it came time that we were going to go out and issue invitations to kids blast. So I had about 30 people from the church come over to my house, and we prayed beforehand. Well, before I prayed, as people gathered, none of them had ever done this before. Now, we're not asking them to go out and witness, right? This is just an extend invitations to Kids Blast. And they were going to go two by two. Have you have never seen so many nervous Nellies in your entire life? I mean, everybody's voice is like an octave higher, you know? They were just uh, really nervous. I think most of us are. And so, so we prayed and uh, sent them off. I was with them as well, two by two. And... I asked them to come back to my house afterwards so we could do a little debrief and, and hear what had happened, make sure there weren't any problems. <laughs> and so they came back, and you have never seen so many people full of joy. It just, I mean, they were talking about experiences, but there was a joy there, a fullness of joy, because they'd been out on behalf of the Lord. They had stepped out in faith, and they'd done it together. And they came back just exchanging these stories and so happy and, uh, and delighted. I could not get them out of my house. <laughs> I mean, it was a wonderful experience. And so I, I finally closed this in prayer, and, and so they went on home. But that's the kind of thing we're talking about. It doesn't have to be something like that, but it's let's do things together. Let's encourage one another in good works. Let's... Find something God's got. And I know this church is wonderful. Uh, I've heard nothing but wonderful things. You're a very healthy church as far as I can see. And so I'm not trying to build any more programs or anything. I'm just saying these are things that need to be alert to. And those of you who are not participating, I would encourage you to experience more of the fullness of joy I think that God wants for you. It's not just to go do something to do it because you're being guilted into doing it. It's because you will experience the joy of the Lord. 
Yeah, it's great stuff. So, okay, now we're going to look at uh, two common terms of greeting used in Paul's time. Grace and peace. Every letter he starts out the same way. Grace and peace, right? Those two words. The word grace was commonly used in Gentile correspondence in that day as a greeting. They'd open up high. It's the same thing as high, right? It wasn't really loaded with any meaning. It was just a common practice. And the word peace was commonly used in Jewish correspondence with the same idea, peace, you know, shalom, right? And, but there was nothing loaded with it. And so Paul does something very interesting here with those two words, something that uh, just drips with uh, meaning. And, uh, and so he, what he does is he changes these two words from verbs to nouns. And so when he does that, it changes everything. It just brings out the Christian blessing and reminds people as they open it up, wow, look at this. So when Paul used grace, for instance, he was saying, may God's grace be with you. And so that had a lot of work in their hearts because the Philippian church was created by grace. So they understood his teachings after that were about grace and what that grace is. And so it's a reminder of that grace. And when Paul used peace, he was reminding them that they had peace with God that had been established by God. So it's not just a flippant high opening the letter saying, these are things that you need to remember and that are precious that have happened to you and all these things that you've received that we talked about earlier. So grace and peace have incredible blessing and meaning as they're used here. You know, so peace with God, of course, is required justification and reconciliation with God through the death and resurrection of Christ. They all knew that, just like we know it. Of course, grace is always the unmerited favor of God towards his children. And it's always abounding. It's limitless. You can't outdo God's grace. It's always there and there's more. Just like when he talked to David, if you wanted more, just ask me for more and I would have given you more. And so in Romans 5.20, we see this, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There it is. And that's true for you. You want more grace? Ask God for more grace. Second Corinthians 4.14 and 15 say, knowing that he who raised Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Isn't that amazing? You're going to be raised. We haven't even talked about that. Yeah. You aren't going to raise yourself. You're going to be raised with Christ. For it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Wow. Amazing stuff. So as Paul wrote these first two verses of Philippians, he was reminding them of who they were and the glorious future they would enjoy with Jesus because they were in Christ. They were in union with Christ and amazing, wonderful gifts that we've talked about. And we can have peace. So when we're going through each day and we're going through struggles, different things for different people at different times, then we can have this peace. We don't have to be anxious and afraid. We have a place to go to to get the peace when we're in the midst of the trial and we're down. 
Philippians 4, verses 5 through 7 tell us as the Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. There it is again. What a great, great promise. And the verse 4, which precedes that, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So Paul is talking about this joy, this rejoicing all the way through. So even in the middle of these things, and we know, as we already stated, that he's finding this joy when he's in jail. He's not sure if he's going to live the next day. It's a personal experience. The joy of the Lord is filling his heart, even under those circumstances. And so the key to what Paul says of joy then, what he's learned is to move his focus away from the trial, away from the thing that's bothering him, and refocus it back on Jesus and all these things we've been talking about this morning. You know, when you do that, you're no longer a victim. You've got your eyes on Christ, and you know that as you go through this trial, he will provide the grace that you need to get through that trial. As much as you need, he's going to be there with you, walking with you through that. What a glorious God we have. And so as he had learned to do that, he found that that's when his joy was restored. And that's what kept him going. We are to do the same. Where is your focus this morning? Think about the trials that you have. Is it on the world? Is it in your own strength? Or is it in the strength of the Lord and the glory of God and the grace of God and the peace of God? That's what God wants. May we all experience this fullness of joy that Paul's teaching us about. Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great love that's ours in Christ. Thank you for uh, the gifts and the talents that you've placed in us and amongst us. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you. Help us to long for your grace, for your joy. And Lord, may we experience a fullness of joy. In Jesus' name, amen.